Lessons Learned During the Pandemic. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. March 2020 was when Americans were first introduced to a lethal virus that would soon change the lives of frontline workers and patients in hospital emergency rooms and ICUs throughout the city. Within weeks, the United States became the country hardest hit by the pandemic, and New York City was recording its 1,000th death. The Bronx was among those areas most cruelly targeted by COVID-19. As devastating as the losses were and continue to be, generals on the front lines like Dr. Manisha Koshritha, Senior Vice President, Medical Director, and Dr. Dan Lombardi, Senior Vice President, Chief Academic and Quality Officer at SBH Health System, managed to stitch a plan together that in the ensuing months would save the lives of countless others. Welcome, Dr. Kuhl and Dr. Lombardi. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. So, doc, yeah, Dr. Kuhl, let me start with you. Uh, is it fair to say that when COVID-19 first hit the Bronx, hospitals in general were not prepared to fight it? I think that's very fair to say. I think when we started out, we did not expect it to happen so quickly, hit us so fast and so hard. I think we thought we would have more time to prepare, um, but unfortunately we didn't and we had to use everything that was in our disposal to get to where we were. I think that we did the best we could. We did a fantastic job. Everyone pitched in. Everyone did what they could to make sure our hospital was ready. Our staff was ready. We were ready to accept as many patients as possible. We did it all. We met. We planned. We met every day, seven days a week, to make sure we could get to where we could. We we had subcommittees put together. I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit more, but I think everything yeah. we did, we did to prepare. And uh, I think it started off right away. As soon as we first heard about COVID, that started off in Wuhan in China, we knew that at some point it would come across the shores and come to the U.S. When that happened in December, January, and I think we started started soon hearing about in February, we, were, we started getting ready. We had a plan in place, what we would like to do to expand our bed capacity, what we would do to take care of our patients, and we started early, and I think we shut down a lot of things early so we would be able to prepare for the influx of our patients. But but do you think the the reality of the virus when it first hit exceeded your expectations? Of Absolutely. How it was? Absolutely. I did not expect it to be so hard so fast. In the beginning, if you, if you remember what we heard on the news was it was similar to the flu. It had perhaps a 1% mortality rate or even less and it was it did not turn out to be that way we did not know what to expect when it came to the clinicals of what a patient would be experiencing when they came in we did not know it would be that kind of disease they'd be sending patients home from the emergency room and then they would return we did not expect them to come in and die so quickly and to, to have such an enormous it was almost like an avalanche of patients coming in very very quickly so we, we did not expect that and i think we had to gear up for that but Absolutely not. I think when we had our plan, we had an A, B, C, D, or phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, and we thought we'd go in steps. I think very quickly, within a day or two, we went from phase A to phase D, and you know, it is what is after that. Yeah, uh, Dr. Lombardi, is it fair to say that St. Barnabas and other hospitals uh, went down some dead ends in trying to find solutions? Yeah, you know, I, I do think it's fair to say that we found some dead ends. And I, I think 
some of that had to do with staffing. Some of that had to do with equipment and supplies. You know, like Manisha said, at, at some point we, we were scrambling. Uh, we were scrambling to get help, in a sense, get help from uh, staffing models. We were trying to get help from our partners. And we did receive a lot of help. We received help from Greater New York Hospital Association. We received help from Haney's. We received help from the community. So many donations of PPE, other supplies and food and support for our staff. I mean, while it was tragic and still remains tragic, it really was great to see how people came in and united to try and help people at a, at a great time of need. Did you find, Dr. Lombardi, that, that certain drugs weren't as effective as they were hyped up to be? Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, what, came with this, what came with this virus was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and with that uncertainty came just trials and some types of tribulations, really, right? So there was a lot of media uh, surrounding certain drugs that were touted to work really, really well. And, and you know, we, we tried them and we tried our best to manage with all that uncertainty. Um, some have proven to, to work. Uh, you know, we still are, are now treating patients with some of the drugs that we used a year ago. Uh, others have fallen by the wayside. So yes and no, uh, we, we tried our best and, we, and we, we tried those agents that other folks were using as well. Right, right. Dr. Cool, what, what protocols were put in place that you found were effective over the course of uh, the pandemic and continue to be? Well, I think isolation, of course, as we all know, that was very, very important. Masking, very important. I know the guidelines kept changing almost, it felt like by the day. Sometimes policies would change immediately as soon as they came out and we'd had to be, we had to be above everything and make sure we were doing the right thing. I think isolation, masking, making sure that everyone wore a mask at all times, that has continued to this day. Uh, we started that very early. We started that sometime in, I would say, end of March, well before the CDC even recommended. And I think that has continued to this day. As uh, Dan mentioned, some therapies that we had started of, namely things like steroids, we continue right now, uh, maybe different types, maybe different doses as we've refined uh, what has come out in the literature. We have continued oxygen therapies, Again, different kinds. We have many different modalities that we have that we continue to provide to our patients. We have anticoagulation in the beginning that we were not sure that it would work or not, but I think we have our protocols in place right now. And early on, I believe when remdesivir came on, and I know some are familiar with that drug, it was very limited in how much and who got that who got that drug. I remember Dr. Berger putting so much time and effort writing letters to the company explaining that we were a small hospital. We didn't have a huge research arm. We did not have much of anything. We were in the middle of the Bronx, which is one, probably one of the hardest hit areas in New York in the world. And we needed to have this for our patients. And they were they responded and they gave us some of the drug. And it was actually a very good thing that we got it on early. And we've continued to use that therapy to this day. So I, I think at that time when it was so early all over the world, no one really knew what the right therapy was. It was all trial and error. And there were some anecdotal evidence of what should, what could work, what could not work. I think one, two, three, four years from now, when we're still dealing with COVID, we'll find out more and we'll see what was right, what was wrong. But I think at the time we did the best that we could. We used the therapy 
therapies that were available to us. We used the best guidance we had. We used what evidence-based guidance we had. And as soon as something's changed or there was more evidence, we would start using those therapies as well. So I think uh, Dr. Right. Delzak led that very, very well, I have to add, along with Dr. Berger and many others in the committee. I think where we are today is in a good place. I think we're seeing better outcomes, still tragic as it may be. Every single death is just hurtful. But I think where we were then and where we are now is a different place. But um, we need to keep getting better at this. Right. But Dr. Kuhl, where do we stand with ventilators? I mean, from what we've read, uh, those patients who were put on ventilators didn't have a terrific rate of survival. Uh, are we moving on from ventilators? Um, I think ventilators still have a place in therapy. They still definitely, when someone requires that amount of that level of oxygen, we still use ventilators. We were using ventilators obviously much more frequently, but I think it was also because of the level of illness that we had and the number of individuals coming in. We now find that high flow oxygen actually works quite well. We also treating earlier, we're able to identify patients much earlier so we can treat it when the symptoms are not as bad as they were when they were coming in. And I think we are much better at that now. So yes, there still is a place for ventilators, but there's a place for other other forms and other oxygen modalities that we've, we've used. We've got them from different vendors. We have tents that we now use. We have CPAP, we have BiPAP, we have high flow oxygen. So we try to use all of those before we move on to ventilators. And I think that's something that we've learned over the year. Yeah, uh, Dr. Lombardi, I know when, when, when then President Trump was uh, tested positive and was treated at Walter Reed Hospital, uh, the media was saying, well, this is not the kind of treatment available for the average patient. But from what I understand, what we're doing at St. Barnabas Hospital is really not that different, right? Yeah, I would agree with that statement. I mean, and Manisha already kind of outlined some of the modalities and treatment that are available at SBH. And those are the same modalities and treatment that are available elsewhere. You know, remdesivir and steroids now are a mainstay of treatment. For those patients that need more oxygen, you know, CPAP and BiPAP and high flow oxygen using demystifiers, those are the tents that she's describing, or BiPAP helmets that we've been trialing. And even those patients that are unfortunately have to get uh, intubated and put on a ventilator, we're, we're using uh, certain techniques that are used uh, across the world. We're proning those patients, trying to oxygenate them uh, in a better capacity. So. And, you know, I don't want to uh, not mention we're also using monoclonal antibodies. Uh, so again, right, right. modalities that are being used across the country and a lot of places across the world. We're up to the latest treatments and, and we continue to be, uh, you know, again, as Manisha mentioned, Dr. Telzak's doing a fantastic job along with Dr. Berger with our treatment guideline committee related to COVID. And, and they brought all these modalities and treatments and drugs to the forefront and and really discuss this with the team to make sure that we're prepared. Dr. Cool, um, are there still things about COVID-19 that keep you up at night that still concern you? Absolutely. I think this is this is a disease that that's just it's it's testing us, I have to say. When it first came out, we were not aware of the variants that are now out there. We thought there was one COVID, we'll treat it. Hopefully one day soon we'll get a vaccine. 
I did not expect a vaccine to come so quickly. And I'm just so impressed with the world and how everyone came together to get so many different kinds of vaccines, to have so many different types that work in different ways. And it's just incredible to me how quickly that that occurred. But yeah, it was a matter of time before I think any virus can can um, mutate and modify. And we have some variants that are in this uh, in this world that because of travel still being as it is, we will get from different parts of the world. We do have one that's from Washington Heights now that is, I think, uh, pretty much in the Bronx. That's keeping me up at night as well. You wonder how much of this would be amenable to treatment, whether we're going to get another surge. Masking is still very, very important. Um, summer is going to come. We're going to be out. Are we going to be wearing our masks? Are we going to be doing the right thing? It, it, it does keep me up at night because you worry about our patients. You worry about exposures. You worry about our healthcare workers. You worry about community bringing it into us. It's it's a never-ending cycle because you just need that one case to get a control to get another surge within the hospital. And that's something we definitely do not want to have. So yes, the variants keep me up at night. Vaccinations keep me up at night. I would like to get 100% vac- everyone vaccinated as much as quickly as possible. I want everyone safe. I don't want there to be a single death from COVID. But you know, the reality is we, we all need to do the, what we can. And I think we all need to understand that this is not going to go away. I, we all want it to go away. We all want to get back to our lives. But I, I think we are still at that, that cusp where we could go either ways. And, and we need to be very, very well aware of that. Yeah, Dr. Lombardi, when we hear about certain states that are now fully opening up, um, what do you think about that? We, is it premature? Definitely seems premature. You know, it, it, it's it's a difficult thing to to kind of bring up and and discuss. And, and I understand the fatigue. I understand the anxiety and the depression that's uh, besaken a lot of the population because of the isolationism. But because of the variants, because we're not where we need to be with vaccination just yet, it, it seems a bit early. Uh, it seems like we should be further along that process before we're, we're opening up our states and, and the economy to allow no mandates as far as masks are concerned and and all the the isolation and the social distancing that's required. There's just so much that's still unknown. And until we learn more, this seems a bit premature. Yeah, let me finish with you, Dr. Cool. Uh, one last question. Some of the so-called experts and some of the scientists out there say that by 2022, we should be back to normal. What do you think about that? It's a very good question. I wish I could look into the future in a crystal ball and say that would occur. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what a new reality is going to be. I think we're seeing in the world right now that there are you know, ebbs and flows. It surges up, it comes back down. And sometimes we don't even know why. I think vaccination is going to play a huge part. I do not know whether we need to vaccinate once a year, once every nine months, once every five years. We don't know what that's going to be like. We don't know how well we're going to be able to vaccinate the world. I'm hoping that in 2022 we'll be in a much better place. I'm hoping we'll be close to normal. But I, I think we have to see. I think we have to do the right thing right now before we say, OK, we'll just look forward to 2022. And it's going to be OK. We have to do the work. We have to do the right thing from now until then and see where we are then. And we are not one small isolated country. We This is the entire world we're talking about because we all travel. We all go to different areas and we can bring back something that we might not want to bring back. So we have to continue to be careful, continue to nip this in the bud. I hope that one day this is just like the flu. You know, it's 
yes, the flu is also deadly, but it's not as that this is much more deadly. And we have to make sure that if it does come to that we have to live with COVID for the rest of our lives, it's something that we can control and that's something that is not as serious and fatal as it is right now. Okay, well, doctors, uh, thank you both for your time today. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you for joining SBH Bronx Health Talk. For more information on services available at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. Until next time.